You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We are on the eve of the weekend, gentlemen. How you guys doing today? Great. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing a lot better than yesterday. Feeling good. The spring weather is, is, is taking its toll on me. All this pollen has gotten to me. If you want to call in and talk to us, the phone lines are open. 334-321-1390 is the number to get you through to on the line. Once again, 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. And then Jaws on Twitter at Intern Jaws. But you're, you're no longer an intern. Is that ever going to change? I'm probably going to change that here in a couple of days. I've been trying to think of a new Twitter handle. <laughs> Employ, like, employee jaws it's like i can't <laughs> that's there we good go. there we go. that's good at employee jaws formerly intern jaws <laughs> that kind of sounds like something that you would see off of like superstore or something like that mm-hmm. it's just so an, I, i'm an employee now employee right jaws yeah auburn football yesterday had their first spring scrimmage so that's how we're going to start off the show here today brian harson had his press conference had some interesting things to say We'll run through a little bit of that here. It it was honestly the most boring press conference I have listened to in a very long time. There's a lot of coach peaks on this one. Just a lot of just general, just, hey, we got things to work on. Hey, we got to fix this. We know what we got to do type of This is an operational practice. It's all about execution and and guys, you know, being in the right place, lining up at the right time. It's like, oh, really? Sting texted me yesterday night, and he's like, that was the most, you know, I, I, I'm always enamored when I when I listen to this guy speak. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, typically I am too, but this had to be the most boring press conference that I've watched in a long time. And I'm even putting that against Gus Malzahn's. And these aren't meant to be exciting. He's not doing it for my entertainment. I'm just saying I think we're beginning to see the transition from what we've been seeing with Brian Harson because Levi, Lance, we've all glowed about how this guy communicates his vision, how he has communicated what he wants to do with the Auburn football program. And now, quicker than I thought it would, we're beginning to see the new fade away. Now we're getting into the nitty-gritty, and I think we're getting the Brian Harson now that called folks twidiots. I think that's the Brian Harson we're getting now as he's getting a little bit more into coach speak. It was also a shorter press conference than we've seen so far. It only came out at about 22 minutes. Yeah, I was actually <laughs> thinking just the other day before this press conference, I'm like, okay, well, we, he came into this program as kind of like everybody thought, well, he was the guy that said Twidiots and he didn't really like, he didn't really enjoy press conferences that much. And the first one that we get from him is incredibly long whenever we first get to uh, to see him here in Auburn. And the other two that we've had, I believe, have been fairly lengthy. Both times he's been able to actually speak to the media. And then we get this one, and I was thinking, okay, we're about to get some more details, some more insight on what's necessarily going on. I think he mentioned— Coach speak. He didn't mention anybody specifically unless he was asked to. And And even when he was asked— he diverted it away and kind of talked about the unit or he routed it back to, well, this was just an operational practice. 
I want to take some time, go and look at the film, which I think is true. These guys are still trying to evaluate these players. And I think he's telling the truth when he says he just wants to go and look at the film because he, he just came out of practice. You know, he just came out of the scrimmage. He hasn't had enough time to digest it. So I think that is true. But you're right. Every time he's asked about something specifically, he did kind of divert it away and talk about the unit and really didn't want to get into the nitty gritty. I mean, he was asked about Bo Nick specifically on several occasions, every time diverted away. But on one occasion, he was asked about how Bo Nix could improve, and he said, nothing in particular, everything in general. That, that is a direct quote. <laughs> Obviously, it went on longer than that, but that was the first thing he said. Nothing in particular, everything in general. I said that to somebody at lunch today, and uh, they're like, what does that even mean? It's like, it means that they all need to improve in the quarterback room, but he's not going to tell you how. Right, right. It, it means I'm deflecting this question away from you, <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to answer that right now. But yeah, you, it makes so I'm a not lo- giving you anything to like, write about with Bonex. He's like, I'm not going to mess up and say something and give you some sort of like clickbait, clickbaity like article title or headline or whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm not giving you anything to fuel some fire against a quote unquote quarterback controversy. Bonex is the guy. Thing, the only thing you could have taken away from this entire press conference that like you're like, okay, this is a takeaway or like anything that you could have written about this is or 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 two things maybe brian harson still trying to evaluate these players he wants to go back and look at the film he's still trying to learn about these guys and the other thing is the defense won the scrimmage exactly he was talking about the offensive line and he if even though he was very very generic in what he was talking about during this press conference he did talk a little bit about the offensive line and the shortcomings they have currently he said there are a lot of penalties from the first team and that's something they need to work on and immediately followed it up with how well the defense performed in those situations that they were given so like you said defense is playing really really well and what is what was initially a concern for me is now I'm I'm becoming more comfortable with the defensive line uh if we in this 3-4 unit I thought this the three four unit would not be able to perform very well but just based off what i'm hearing they're doing pretty well so far in spring camp it doesn't give me a ton of confidence with the defensive line just here that the offensive line's performing poorly because i'm like oh okay more of the same with the offensive line right and i'm sure you guys saw on social media demetrius davis's rope that he threw towards the sideline which if you watch that you know what i was thinking me being sarcastic i almost tweeted and said well nice to see that the backup offensive line protected for a whole second (laughs) if if folks don't know what i'm talking Mm. about landon king had some on his Instagram story and I saw him we'll be we'll be speaking to Christian Clemente early uh later on in the show we'll be speaking with him and he posted on his Twitter account last night a video that was on the Instagram story for Landon King Auburn tied in and the video was of a specific play he was watching film in the top left corner of the video you could see the play name Dallas Crash X so like we know a play name guys we know something oh, in the playbook boy. it worked in the pocket just disintegrated instantly Demetrius Davis rolls to his left just kind of instinctively gets his feet planted throws an absolute rope on the money completed pass that's that's a takeaway from yesterday I guess there Demetrius Davis had at least one solid completion there we go that's all we need <laughs> and it wasn't like necessarily him scrambling out to his left right like he, he was just kind of shifting yeah he, sh- yeah, he was he, moving it, his weight in the pocket yeah he it i like the way like i liked his whatever shit. pocket there was uh, was there was there a pocket it, it, didn't, really. it didn't look like it but no he he just kind of moved his feet very like it very pro quarterback like like it he, he looked very comfortable with the pressure coming maybe that's because he's not about to get hit because you know it's a it's a spring practice You're not maybe, live maybe yeah maybe that helps out you know with his the calm demeanor that we saw, but I did like seeing him shift out like that instead of just panicking and running away. 
that probably comes from the fact that he's not worried that he's actually going to get hit. Sure, and the quarterback room, when he was asked about that, he also went into a similar direction that he went with the offensive line and brought up some negative things that happened. He did mention an interception out of the quarterback room, but he was very quick to say that it was not Bo Nix. He said, not Bo Nix. That did not come from him, but he did say that there were some fumbles as well. I don't know if a quarterback fumbled. I don't know if a running back put one on the turf, but somebody fumbled on the offensive side of the ball not good news coming out of the offensive side of the football only good news coming out of the defensive side I don't think we heard a single negative thing about the defense in the press conference no I don't think we did we also didn't really hear anything outside of Bonix. we didn't hear anything about Bigsby and we didn't hear anything about the run game about how how that's performing is it because the offensive line is performing so bad that they just didn't want to talk about it he might be coach Harson might just be just aggravated with him he might be angry with the offensive I didn't get performance. that vibe he might he might be or maybe disappointed then like he might just not be happy with what they did another direct quote we've got a ways to go when he was talking about whether or not this team's on schedule or not and he did say that he didn't have any preconceived and he says this I don't know if this is true this may be coach speak here but he said that they didn't have a preconceived schedule for where the team is at this was more of just working on communication between the coaching staff from the booth down to the field getting signals onto the guys on the onto the field like calling plays and whatnot so working on communication and operational things and then just making sure you're lining up the right way and executing it on the field so that was what this practice was about at least that's what he said rather than about maybe you know truly being on point and and being fine-tuned obviously it's still very early in the spring and they're going to be working towards that through the rest of spring over the next couple of weeks but he was asked about two offensive players in specific outside of Bo Nix J.J. Pegues once again the media fascination with J.J. Pegues continues how are they going to use the giant fellow and uh, it doesn't sound like Brian Harson has an answer for that right now because in the most coach speak answer ever he says well he can help us in all three phases I there's mean, no I wouldn't know Piggy's is no nope I'm not putting that man he on did defense. say that he could play on defense I don't, special I don't teams gunner. he said that <laughs> oh put, him, put him in special teams gunner let's oh go my gosh, he did say dude. that he was out there with the special teams some though I mean, probably not gunner Levi if but. You, yeah obviously not gunner that was 100% sarcasm if you ever hear a coach say all three phases of the game just know coach speak. Like, this guy's not Co- playing on defense no, coach speak is coming when you hear all three phases of the game just go ahead and say all right i need to stop trying to read into this because he's obviously just going broad and general what i took away from that was that he still doesn't know how to use him in the offense does that mean positive or negative things for jj begeese next year i mean i i think it's uh it sounds negative coming off that way whenever you feel like you don't have an identity with a new coaching staff that leans more towards negative i feel like they i feel like they see his talent and they're trying to say like all right so what do we do with this guy full disclosure though i think there's a lot of players that brian horson doesn't know what to do with at the moment Uh, i think he's still trying to figure out how to fit his entire offense together and what that puzzle looks like putting it together i still think he's trying to figure that out it's not just jj pegues but jj pegues definitely has been more of a gadget player in his time at auburn thus far and i think we're trying to figure out right now or brian horson's trying to figure out if his gadget has a role in this offense yeah and it's uh like just because it seems bad now doesn't mean that doesn't mean that he might not play in the future like I mean you could go into not next week because they're off but like the next spring practice Brian Harson could take this time and start looking over things and go oh he would be perfect for this role he's got to find his niche yeah like he could he might find a spot for him he might be just sitting there in the lab cooking and go 
JJ Pegues right there. That's how I'm going to use him, and he could be the best Wild at. Cap. I mean, quarterback two, quarterback one. Let's go. There's such a media fascination with JJ Pegues, and you know why? It's because you write an article about JJ Pegues, you put a video up fans about JJ Pegues. It's getting collects, right? The, the fans love him. The fans yeah. love him, so obviously the media is going to keep asking questions about him, keep trying to write articles about him. Because but just because clicks. the fans love him doesn't mean he's necessarily the best thing for oh, I the agree. Auburn offense. Just like, I agree. just like Will Hastings. I agree with that. Oh, don't okay. Let's let's don't let's don't get after a guy who was actually productive though, right? Will say, Hastings was a productive wide receiver. I mean, whenever I, they I, got Hastings the ball, he's this is productive. part of your vendetta I, against kickers. So I know, we're, we're, no, we I need mean, to I, put you in time. No, out it's not. Quarter, it's man. not about the kickers. It's just I think we'd have saw better production if we were throwing to a five star, four star receiver on the roster instead of a backup kicker. I actually thought Will Hastings was quite effective running the option route. I thought that was one before he exactly. got hurt. No, he was okay before with that. he busted his legs up. Before he got hurt, I felt like Will Hastings was one of the most dangerous route runners in the entire Southeastern Conference, and that's coming out of the mouths of the defenders that were covering him in practice. And those guys are playing in the league right now. That it, was coming out of Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean and all those guys in 2017 against Georgia Southern. There were two third and medium to long plays where Auburn lined up in a spread but they had three receivers to the right and they had Hastings in that slot closest to the offensive line on the left and then he had an option route both times he could either take it and and cut a dig into the middle of the field or he could cut it somewhat out and it was the same look from Auburn both times but but on on the, the two plays Hastings the first time he went in and the second time he went out and both times he was wide open and so you talk about his ability to run the option route. That Those two plays specifically stand out to me. I think this Auburn offense could use a Will Hastings, right? I agree. And speaking of a guy, he's not Will Hastings, and he's not the same type of player, and he's definitely meant more for the wide receiver position than Will Hastings was, and he's probably a lot more durable. But Coach Harson was asked about Javarius Johnson as well, a topic of our show yesterday as we opened up. Javarius Johnson, he said, is one of the most consistent players he's seen up to this point. He also talked about his conditioning and being able late into practice, late into games, still being able to blow off the line of scrimmage and be explosive. That's a good quality. He seemed to glow about Javarius Johnson when he was asked about it. And we just overlooked this guy. When we, we were, did. When we, we were did. talking about the receiver depth chart and throughout, you know, all of us talking about receivers, we definitely overlooked this guy. And hey, he might be the he might be the gym or he might be the darling of spring practice that doesn't do anything come regular season. Very well could end up being an X factor. You never know. Yep. We'll be back with more of on the line on the other side of this break. We got sweet 16 picks coming your way. We're gonna take a look at the Saturday games, Sunday games coming up later on. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to have Christian Clemente, AuburnSports.com, and the Auburn Plainsman with us on the show. We'll get some of his thoughts on what happened at Auburn football practice yesterday some tournament talk as well Auburn baseball coming up this weekend we got a full conversation coming up with Christian Clemente in about 10 minutes but we're going to steer this towards the NCAA tournament sweet 16 picks we're going to do this in two different segments we're going to do the Saturday games here and then we'll do the Sunday games in hour number two so let's start it right here Saturday games sweet 16 let's get after it gentlemen 12 seed Oregon State against 8 seed Loyola Chicago starts off the action tomorrow, 140 CBS. 
I'm rolling with the Ramblers on this one. I think they're just a much better team than Oregon State. Two defensive, more slower teams. I like Loyola better than Oregon State. I think they're going to show up, shut Oregon State down. Oregon State hadn't really played the cream of the crop competition, and I think Loyola is going to be the best team they played despite seeding despite seating in this tournament. I think they win. Now, I don't know if they cover that seven-point spread, but I think Loyola might actually just blow this one out. So I, I, I take them with that spread line as well. Loyola better than Oklahoma State? I think Yeah, I think they're a much better team than Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has the better player, but I think they're a better team than Oklahoma State. I agree with that. I Actually, we were talking about this just a couple of days ago. I think Loyola is going to blow this one out of the water. I don't think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be similar to that Kansas State game that Loyola played. I believe it was against Kansas State where they just ran away with it to get to the Final Four in 2017. I think Loyola wins this one big. How in the world did Oregon State get this far then, See, gentlemen? that's my question. Uh, they played Tennessee, who's been inconsistent. They played Oklahoma State, who has been a bit of a overseeded team just because of who they have on their team. And they, looked, they have one player. They looked pretty good against both of those clubs. And both of those clubs, one of which plays, in my opinion, very good defense, that being Tennessee. And then on the other side of the equation, Oklahoma State plays excellent offense. Not just through Kate Cunningham. I actually think they got a couple of guys on that team that can ball out. Yeah, I mean, both the Boons are pretty good as well. It's just, I, I, I wasn't impressed with them all season. Or, the one thing Oregon State has going for them is they play in the best basketball conference that we've seen this year. <laughs> I agree. At least in tournament time, the Pac-12 has been impressive. Let's see, how many Pac-12 teams are there playing? Four. This, there's four. Wow. Not this. A not, quarter not of not the Saturday, Sweet 16. But, yeah, just a quarter of the Sweet 16. It's insane. That's impressive. I mean, we almost got Bill Walton's uh, five Pac-12 teams <laughs> in the Final Four that he wanted. <laughs> I'm going to go Loyola-Chicago as well. It's about the team for me, this Loyola-Chicago squad. These are two teams that are known for playing excellent defense, or at least that's their brand of basketball. They're also going to slow the pace down to a snail's pace. This wouldn't shock me if Loyola-Chicago won like 66-56 to 56 just by virtue of the amount of possessions that are going to be played in this ballgame. I like Loyola-Chicago. I think they've got more shooters, as, uh, as, that, as Pat Bradley would say on the SEC Network. He would say they've got more shooters. So <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Loyola-Chicago as well. I just hope Crutwig's not too tired from you know working on cars as a mechanic all week. <laughs> or from yeah. carrying this Loyola-Chicago. Chicago team all the, the face, way back to the Sweet 16. The face of the Final Four. There you go. 415 CBS tomorrow. Five seed Villanova. They're hot right now, even without their point guard, Colin Gillespie. They got number one seed Baylor. They've played well in their previous game. Two games ago, though, struggled with Hartford for a little bit. This Baylor team a little up and down at the moment, 415 CBS. And Villanova struggled with Winthrop a little bit at the beginning of the tournament. They they were in, you know, a little bit towards the beginning. It scares me a little bit because you're looking at this from the betting line perspective. You see a lot of people, about 55% of the bets are going towards Villanova. What's the line? It is sitting at six and a half right now. Or no, seven and a half. I'm sorry. To Baylor. Yes. Baylor's favored by seven and a half. 55% of the bets are going towards Villanova, but 75% of the money is going to Baylor, which... Well, you know what that means, man. If the Sharps are going towards Baylor... It typically leans me towards Baylor, but they're frauds. They're overrated. (sighs) And you know what? Villanova, all the stats might be against Baylor, but you know what Villanova has that Baylor doesn't have recently? Two rings. Two rings. I'm going to trust Jay Wright and the boys. Best-looking head coach in all of college basketball. He's going to take it, and they're going to upset Baylor. I have a really, really hard time picking 
this Baylor team to win this Saturday. I don't think Villanova has enough in the tank to quite beat Baylor, but I do think it's going to be a very close game. So you're picking Baylor? I'm picking Baylor, but in a very close game, and I do not want to. I was about to say, if you pick Villanova, I need you to give me better arguments than the past and someone's physical appearance. Right. Because that's what Levi's on right now. Two championship rings that are in the past and that... Hey, do you, you remember we went through and looked at the championships and like what teams won? And that it, is true. And they were one of those teams on the list that... Baylor was not, and it, it's hard, just like we said with Illinois, it's hard to picture Baylor at the end of it holding up that trophy because we've only seen a handful of teams do that at the end of the year. And sometimes in tournaments, people just turn it on. Certain teams just get a little bit Coaching better. Coaching experience as well. Coaching Jay Wright is, has that experience. Yeah, and I think that carries through in this game. I Look, I could, see, I could see Villanova also losing this game because, let's be honest, Baylor is the better team. When I call them frauds, I, I would assume most it's people. It's a bit. Know, I right? assume most people. I assume <laughs> most people know that I'm joking. But I will take the experience of Jay Wright to win. I think it's going to be a close game regardless. I will say we talked about this yesterday, talking about Baylor, and I've seen them play poorly, especially in the Big Twelve tournament. Uh, saw them play poorly against a Kansas State team, and you said it's all like, well, been since COVID. Right. It's like, well, yeah. one game isn't necessarily a testament to how well a team can perform, and that's true. But we've seen this consistently recently they struggled with Hartford ever since they had to pause due to the coronavirus infecting their team right that we we have not seen them reach their full potential that they were at before they were infected with the coronavirus that happens I mean when you take what a few weeks off of work every everybody's going to struggle when they're not going to come back sharp That, that goes for everybody that goes for us that goes for you know whoever whatever job you work especially with athletes when you got to take in they got to keep their physical appearance up as well I think my final thoughts on this game would be that I I think Baylor is the more talented team but there are a lot of factors that are not going in their way right now and so it makes it very difficult to pick them non-basketball factors seem to be going their way maybe something chemistry wise with the club that is regarding the fact that they once again did have a COVID pause about a month ago that they just haven't quite bounced back from but it's crazy to think that this team is still this good after having endured circumstances like that i'm going to take baylor in this one as well before we move on to the final two games here i want to ask you guys a question that i thought up once levi made the point that only a handful of teams typically raise up that trophy at the end of the year there's you know just a a certain amount of clubs that that have won the national title in basketball and you typically don't see new teams win it you're you know you look at the last 20 years in basketball it's those premier basketball programs that are typically winning the national championship it's your dukes it's your kentucky's your north carolina's your villanova's the teams that you recognize every once in a blue moon someone that hasn't won a title before does go out and win one is this a year that we see that happen the odds are in favor for someone else to do it because the only two teams that come to mind that are we're on that list of teams we talked about are villanova and michigan in my opinion i can't think of Unless I'm overlooking someone else, I don't think there's another team that UCLA's won one. UCLA, I mean that. Not Syracuse. more than yeah, I said yeah, I one. Say, They've won a lot of them. The stings rolling his eyes. <laughs> they've won a lot of them. Sorry, I but just, it's also been a while since they've won that, one. That, so I'm sorry. I feel so bad. John Wooden's a legend, and he won a lot of them. Okay. <laughs> Syracuse has also won a national title in the last 20 years. Hey, Syracuse get Syracuse another one of those teams. Carmelo like, Anthony, like yes, Villanova, they get uh they get better come tournament time. When tournament rolls around, Syracuse it, they just seem to turn it on, even when they're at ten or at eleven seed. I think if we're we're gonna look at some teams that definitely have that are, are not necessarily considered blue bloods that have potential in this tournament, I would immediately look to Alabama, Arkansas, and Oregon, the teams that are just hot right now. What about Gonzaga? Gonzaga's never won one. 
I, I mean like blue blood. And I think um, Gonzaga's consistently been at the top of college basketball over the past decade. Or I wouldn't so. call him a blue blood because they've, they've never won a title. Yeah, but I said they, so I can't put him there. I can't put him oh, so in Levi's camp. I can't put him at the top. They are not a part of college basketball's royalty if they've never <laughs> won a, a, a title. New I, age though, definitely new age basketball program that's came along since Mark Few. I have which he's been there for you. a long time. I have converted argument you have not but let's let's get through these last two really quickly here we only got a couple minutes left in this segment 15 seed oral roberts against three seed arkansas 625 tbs there's a yeah go ahead uh, there's a lot of uh there's a lot of bets on arkansas at that 11 line but there's a lot of money going to oral roberts i think oral roberts might cover that and keep it a little bit close but we talked about this. The teams in the sweet, like the the 15 seed or the lower seed in the this sweet 16. This is where you trim the fat. They don't win, so I'm gonna go <laughs> with the Hogs, baby. <sighs> I I, uh, I think Arkansas will definitely win this game. I think they'll win it, win it handily. I don't see Oral Roberts beating uh, a top 25 team in Ohio State and two SEC teams back to back. I just don't see it happening. It's a statistical anomaly for a 15 seed to make the elites uh, to make the Elite Eight. It's right. never happened before. So this is typically where you see the the fat get trimmed. And I think that we begin to see chalk beginning this weekend. I think everybody settles in a little bit. So I am going Arkansas as well. It would be fun. I'm pulling for him. I mean, I hope Oral Roberts wins. I also think, though, you forget about any shot of upsetting Baylor, though, if Oral Roberts wins this game. And then Baylor's all the way to the Final Four. So 11 seed Syracuse against 2 seed Houston, 855 TBS. we got about a minute left, gentlemen. Go ahead. ahead, I think we all stand on the same page on this game. I I think we all agree that Syracuse is going to upset Houston. I think Syracuse is playing I don't have that written down on my sheet of paper here. What? I've got Houston winning. We talked about this yesterday. We did, but Levi has brought me on to the side, though, where... Levi's brought me on to the side where I'm thinking everything's going to settle down this weekend and the chaos is going to is, is going to close. But I did put in parentheses next to it. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm not. I, this is one of my least confident picks because Syracuse is playing out of their minds right now. But if there's somebody that can shut down Buddy Bayheim and the Syracuse offense is playing pretty hot right now and bring it back down to earth, it, it'll be this Houston defense that is among the the nation's elite. I will say Houston's best win of the season is their second game of the season against Texas Tech. That was a two point win. I think Syracuse has enough offense to get past this Houston team. Now, like you said, like it's very realistic that Houston wins this game. I just think that I'm going with Syracuse in the upset. Now, if Houston cannot contain the likes of Buddy Bayheim and this hot shooting orange orange team, you know, like if they can't stop the orange men here from spraying from beyond the arc, Houston loses this ballgame because they don't want to play this above the 75-point range. They don't want to play above that. Syracuse could take it to that point, but I, I like Houston to win this game. I'll go against the grain. And Levi, you've got Q's yeah, as well. First team to 50 wins, I think that's Syracuse. <laughs> we'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. we got Christian Clemente joining us of AuburnSports.com and the Auburn Plainsman. Stay with us. You're on the line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Dahl with you in the studio. ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. As promised, joining us on our phone lines now, we got Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com and the Auburn Plainsman joining us on the show. Christian, how are you doing today on this fine Friday? You know, I'm doing good. I'm happy it's Friday. How about yourself, Noah? I think we're all happy it's Friday, as as are most folks out there, and uh, looking forward to another great NCAA tournament weekend. Got a lot of things that we want to get your thoughts on here. We'll start with Auburn football and the fact that there was an open viewing window 
yesterday seems like we're, we're getting more and more of these than uh than maybe we had under under Gus Malzahn and then a press conference as well following it what are your takeaways from Auburn's first scrimmage of the spring yeah so we didn't really get to hear too much about the actual scrimmage from Harson. the main thing he was talking about was he really wanted to see how the team his two words were operate and execute he wanted to see how the coaches on the sideline could operate as a staff and up in the box and he wanted to see how the players could execute the main thing he took away from it and that we really got was that there's still a lot of work to be done, and I think that's expected with the first scrimmage of spring ball. So we didn't hear too much about how individual players played. Auburn football actually just put out a video um, from the scrimmage. We saw a couple plays on that. looked like Brandon Frazier hauled in a touchdown. But overall, we didn't really hear too much about the actual scrimmage. Harson did say the defense played a little bit better than the offense. So that's really all we learned from the scrimmage last night. I don't know about you, but to me, it felt like the most it felt like the most coach speaky press conference he's given up to this point. Did 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 you get that same impression? Yeah, I mean, it was just overall a very we need to get better, we need to keep doing this, this, and this, and that was a really about it. We didn't get. I mean, Gus didn't really give out too much information either, but Gus would say, you know, wide receivers caught some passes. You know, maybe this guy did good. We didn't hear about that at all. So in terms of what actually happened during the scrimmage, your guess is about as good as mine. <laughs> well, then my question here, what we do know is the defense did seem to – he didn't have anything negative to say about the defense. He had only positive things to say about the defense, and he, he actually you know, did bring up some of the negatives that the offense did on that side, as you've already brought up. So with the fact that the defense may have gotten the better of the offense, do you think that that is promising for an Auburn defense that's looking to rebound this upcoming year, or do you think that that is more concerning for an Auburn offense that has proven to make that side of the football look difficult? You know, I think it's more promising for the defense. Um, I really thought this was a talented defense going into this year with Jacoby McClain and Owen Papo back at linebacker. Then you have like six different cornerbacks that are good along with Smoke Monday. The defensive line was kind of the question mark. We've seen some guys step up and fill some roles so far in the Saturday open practice. And then yesterday during the viewing window, we got to see a little bit of D-line again. So I think it's good that the defense performed well. I'm not overly concerned about the offense too much yet um the offensive line when we saw it on saturday looks a little shaky so i need to see them improve more um i have heard some really good things about tayshawn manning i would highly expect him to stick at left guard and start there to start the season but outside of that some of those pieces on the offensive line need to improve and that was probably the probably the main issue for the offense during the scrimmage yesterday so if the offensive line can improve throughout the spring and summer and fall camp going into the season, I wouldn't be too concerned with skill players like Tank Bigsby and Bo Nix back at quarterback. I think Bo Nix could take a big step forward if that offensive line improves. So I wouldn't be too concerned about the offense just yet. You brought up Tayshawn Manning, and something that I've said on the show recently is I, I don't know how this coaching staff – this new coaching staff or the previous one or any coaching staff for that matter maybe could have looked at the left side of the offensive line last year and wondered hmm something about this didn't need to change right and you bring up Tayshawn Manning I'm curious with the way how how do you think this coaching staff views Tayshawn Manning and the left side of that offensive line there's only there's only two guard spots and Brandon Council Keandre Jones and Tayshawn Manning all all fighting for some combination there who gets usurped? Is is Tayshawn Manning going to keep his spot, and maybe Keandre Jones is is going to be on the bench, and then Brandon Council spot, uh, starts? What what do you think that looks like at guard for Auburn? 
yeah, I think Brandon Council needs to slot in somewhere. He is the most versatile piece on the offensive line. This is kind of a hot take. I think maybe he could play that left tackle position. I'm still oh. not sold on Alec Jackson. And Austin Troxel just hasn't really shown it so far. I thought he was good, but he hasn't shown anything too much. So I think Council could maybe play that left tackle. Um, what you brought up, slotting in at right guard for Keandre Jones, I think that's probably the most likely. Could um, he play center? Brandon Council, but he could play center as well, too. He's got experience at all five positions along the offensive line. So once they get him back, and they're expecting him back in the summer, it'll be interesting to see where he slots in because he needs to be somewhere on this offensive line. We saw the throw from Demetrius Davis yesterday. Was there... Via your it, Twitter account. Yeah, via <laughs> your Twitter account. Shameless plug right there for you. Um, is, is, have you heard anything about him outside of that? Like maybe some rumblings about how he's been doing at practice or anything of that nature? Uh I believe it was Mike Bobo was asked about uh, Demetrius on Monday. And Mike Bobo said that he's been playing well. He's been impressed with him. Obviously, he's still a little bit raw. He's only gone through so many practices as a college freshman. But from what we've heard, he's been good. When we got to see him um, on the open practice on Saturday, I will say this, he's listed at 5'10". He's not 5'10". He might be 5'9". He's a very short quarterback, but he makes plays with his legs. Um we got to see it on Saturday. He's able to escape the pocket, and he's able to make some throws. He's got good zip on the ball. I think he's a very talented quarterback. I don't think he's going to usurp Bo Nix this season, but he's a very talented guy to look at moving forward for the Auburn quarterback room. Javarius Johnson was the last question asked towards Brian Harson yesterday, and he kind of seemed to glow about him a little bit. And that was a little bit maybe maybe we're reading too much into that, considering everybody else he was asked about. It was very it was very bland answers and kind of directed the attention away from individuals. But he actually went in depth on Javarius Johnson a little bit. We've talked about the wide receiver room in depth, and we kind of overlooked Javarius Johnson a couple of weeks ago. And then now we're hearing about you know with two injuries to to Shedrick Jackson and Capers. You know who, who's an outside guy in this receiver room that's you know outside of Kobe Hudson or Elijah Can maybe a non-primary wide receiver that might emerge is Javarius Johnson it or is it a Malcolm Johnson Jr. Uh, who, who do you think emerges in your eyes yeah so far what we've seen in practice it's been those two guys it's been Kobe Hudson Elijah Canyon the one and the two um, on Saturday's open practice it was Malcolm Johnson as the three but when we were seeing the team work through some drills yesterday it was Javarius Johnson three so he seems to have kind of moved up the depth chart a little bit um, like Bobo praised him. He name dropped him. They just asked him about the receivers and he instantly went to Javarius Johnson. And then like you talked about, Harson was asked about it yesterday and praised him a lot. He's just such a fast, um, undersized wide receiver. He is very talented. He's kind of like a Ryan Davis in a sense. He's a little bit shifty too. I think he's really talented and I would expect him to start on this offense or at least be a big playmaker for it. Especially you mentioned the two injuries. Those guys are out for now. And J.J. Evans is hurt as well. So there's three receivers who may have been ahead of him, but now he's able to kind of work up the depth chart and show what he's got. And the coaches seem to really like him. Auburn baseball in action this weekend against Kentucky. Tigers got swept by Ole Miss. Not a great place to start in the hole 0-3, but a chance to bounce back against one of the I know they're two and one right now, but still, I would believe one of the bottom half teams in the SEC East, and then you know one of the bottom quarter teams in the entire SEC. What, what what do you know about the Auburn pitching staff coming back this weekend? Because right now on the third day, it's Joseph Gonzalez as the as the Sunday starter. Is Richard Fitz? Is Jack Owen? Is there any info out there about those guys? Uh, from what we've heard, they're still trying to work back from that injury. Um, 
Fitz came back, I want to say it was the Lipscomb game, that midweek game, and he pitched two innings. Um, yeah. Still trying to work back from that injury a little bit. And then Jack Owen came back against Ole Miss, and he got roughed up a little bit, but he did come back. I would expect those guys to maybe be back by next week's, uh, next weekend series. They might pitch a couple relief innings this week, but obviously they're not going to start. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Joseph Gonzalez does. He's been, I think he has one start, maybe two starts on the year, and he was good in his start, but in relief he's been a little shaky, so they're trying to see what he can do um, as a starter this weekend, so it'll be interesting to see. Like you mentioned, Kentucky's not not one of the best teams in the SEC. It is the SEC, though, so it'll still be a tough matchup for Auburn. Christian, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all the content you guys are putting out this weekend and, and who's covering baseball for you guys. Yeah, so I'm actually going out of town. So it'll be Brian Matthews covering baseball for us uh, over at AuburnSports.com. I don't know who's doing it for the Plainsman exactly, but you can find our baseball stuff there. And then you can find me on Twitter as well, at Clemente underscore. And all of the great Demetrius Davis connecting with Landon King content to, to your heart's desire there as well, my man. I hope you enjoy <laughs> your weekend. Thank you. You too. That's Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com and the Auburn Plainsman. Gentlemen, quick thoughts here about Auburn baseball going into this weekend against Kentucky. I'm I'm hitting the panic button right now, maybe more so than you guys are, maybe because I, I care a little bit more about the sport of baseball than you guys are, but I, I am hitting the panic button at the moment because I know starting out 0-3 in the SEC, that is, is, that's not a recipe for success because if you follow it up, even with a 1-2 and two weekend against Kentucky, you're sitting at 1-5 in the standings. you got the top-ranked team in the country coming up next week in Arkansas. After that, you still have Florida on your schedule. you got a Georgia team that may be 1-2 in the SEC at the moment, but they've been top 15 all year long. The SEC is unforgiving. And as we've, talking, uh, as we've spoken with Aaron Fitt before of D1Baseball.com, he says uh, that losses can kind of pile up on you quickly. And uh, don't look now. This Auburn team is only three games above 500 at the moment moment i think it's completely warranted to be hitting the panic button at the moment and saying this is it like auburn's got to go out and get some dubs this weekend auburn's got to win the games that they that they have the ability to win uh you know, whenever i say that i mean like games like uh, a series against arkansas not as easy to win again as a series against kentucky i think auburn's got to have some more consistency and i've said this so many different times uh in the bullpen i'm really happy with what i'm seeing from auburn's bats like genuinely i am outside of that uh, that first game against Ole Miss, I really am happy with what I'm seeing. Um, I think their statistics are still a little skewed by that 33 to uh, nothing win against Alabama State. But the bats are a little hit or miss, right? Like when they're on, they're great. When mm-hmm. they're off, but it's bad. But uh, we need to see more consistency from this pitching staff. Trace Bright went out and got shelled. Uh, thought that he would be a little bit more consistent. Uh, I think the thing with Trace Bright right now is, and we've talked about this off air, I think the thing with Trace Bright is his first two starts were against Alabama A&M and Texas A&M. And those two starts, nobody had tendencies on them. Nobody had enough info on them. After they got film on them, after those two, they were able to build some tendencies, some scouting reports. And since then, he's getting smoked in his last two starts. So I think that's a big reason why we're not seeing him on Sunday. But we will wrap up hour number one here at the Line on the other side of this break. Stay with us. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. You're on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. 
Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. We thank Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com and the Auburn Plainsman for joining us in that previous segment. If you missed any of that conversation, be sure to go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now, before we wrap up our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. It's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's Friday, and that means some business plans get torn to shreds on a new episode of Shark Tank at 7 on ABC. Still at 7, but over on NBC, there's a new episode of The Blacklist. We all have something that motivates us. For Bobby Boucher, he's got tackling fuel. The Waterboy is on Bravo at 640. Alabama football player, Medal of Honor recipient, shrimp boat captain, cross-country runner, it's Forrest Gump on AMC at 6. Chronicling the story of the rock band Queen, Bohemian Rap Rhapsody is on FX at 6. If you aren't first, you're last. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby is on IFC at 7. It's the eve of the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament, so no college basketball tonight. But you can get your basketball fix with the NBA a day after the trade deadline. Two games on ESPN at 6.30. You've got the Boston Celtics at the Milwaukee Bucks. At 9, the Atlanta Hawks and the Golden State Warriors will wrap up the night. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Auburn baseball let's continue that conversation here that we ended our previous segment with they're taking on Kentucky this weekend time to give folks a little bit of a scouting report on the Wildcats and look I I have said on the show so far this is a bottom half team in the SEC but just because you're a bottom half team in the SEC does not mean that you are a bad team because Auburn's a bottom half team in the SEC and they're still a good team and they're still talented and this Kentucky team's two and one right now having beaten the worst team the SEC Missouri that is and all of those games were pretty close so I think Auburn's got a favorable matchup at home this weekend but a little bit of a scouting report here on Kentucky as we do have a caller on the line and we will be getting to Travis in just a second just a few statistics here for you Kentucky this year batting 301 as a team so this pitching staff is going to get tested and then on the other side opponents are only hitting 214 against the Wildcats so up to this point Kentucky at 14 and 4 overall 2 and 1 of the SEC they've got some they've got some brutish statistics there 301 hitting at this point in the season is impressive in 214 they've they've got some studs on the mound for them a look at uh we'll get to their probable starters in just a, in just a few moments but let's head to our phone lines here we got Travis on the line with us Travis we've missed you my man how you doing Doing good, guys. Yeah, it's glad to be back. It's, I mean, I apologize. I just can't get into baseball. I don't know if it's because it's such a slow sport, but it seems like once Auburn's basketball season's over, I just start reading spring practice reports. And uh, have you been listening to, a, to to most of our shows so far today, or are you just now getting off work? I, uh, I've i been listening to bits and pieces every uh, – I, I get off work at 2.30, but I've been, I've been listening to bits and pieces every day. I hate to admit that I haven't been – haven't been listening as much as I should. Well, uh, we've we've got some good football content for you too, especially in the first segment today. So if you if you've got time to go and check out the podcast, we went through Brian Harson's press conference in the first segment. A lot of good stuff there, even though it was a pretty boring press conference yesterday, if I may say so. But uh, Travis, what's on your mind today, my man? Man, I, I tell you what, starting off with Brian Harson, why do you bring that up? Because when that guy talks, I don't care if you if you're an Auburn fan, Alabama, Georgia, you're gonna listen to what he has to say. That's right. He's just got that presence, that aura about him that it just draws your attention and opens your ears and your eyes. And uh, but I, I got a, I got a question for y'all because I was thinking about the other day, Gus Malzahn beat Alabama in 2019, and then the next year he got shown the door. And so 
how much of a leash does Brian Harson have when it comes to beating Alabama and Georgia? Because we all know that's a big part of being the Auburn coach is beating your, your two biggest rivals. I mean, that's really a part of being a coach at any school. Yeah. And, uh, and so if he gets beat by Alabama and Georgia the first two years, do y'all see him hanging on for that third year? Ooh, that's tough because I, I got to know, is he beating LSU it, too? Is it, is it, it depends like, on It depends on the rest of the, the what the schedule is looking like. Yeah, I mean, you're if dropping you're, games to South Carolina like Malzahn did. If you're 10-2 both years and you just lost to Georgia and Alabama, I think fans would have hope that all he has to do is get over the hump and beat one or two of those teams and they'll be fine with it. But like Noah just said, if, if you're dropping random games to South Carolina, maybe like an A&M, you know, you're still not beating LSU, and you're sitting around that eight or nine mark. I think that lease shortens up real quick. Because yes, the the Bama Georgia issue was big for Malzahn, but I think people were even more irritated the fact that he was losing five games every year, and Alabama Georgia only made up two of them. And I, I think another issue is everybody else seems like in the division is on the trend upwards. I mean, even Arkansas is winning football games now, and uh, you know, Ole Miss has the lane train, Miss State has the pirate, and so. It's definitely the toughest division in college football. I know LSU had a down year, but, I mean, Max Johnson showed a lot of signs that he could be a good quarterback, you know, with, with some, some development. And uh, and so and it doesn't seem to be going that way for Auburn. They, they show a coach the door, and then they bring a guy in who's not really a big name. I think he can do good things, but what, what do you all realistically see him going just in the Western division, the six games that he has to play? I'm super optimistic about this year, mainly because I – I like what Auburn's got coming back. This was good. This was a, a, you know, people out there were saying don't fire Gus Malzahn because they wanted to see what he could do with this year's football team because it's so experienced. So I like the fact that Harson's walking in year one into a group that's got a lot of experience. There's obviously a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football. So taking this towards the schedule, I think you can at least expect Auburn, obviously, to go three and one in non-conference play. But I think it's very reasonable to say they beat Penn State because Penn State's pretty down at the moment. But say Auburn goes just three and one in the non-conference, I think you also say Auburn goes five and three in SEC play. You're looking at an eight and four regular season. You won a bowl game. You went nine and four. And I think a lot of Auburn people would be um, sort of happy with that. I think that impatience is at such a high point here. Going back to your first question, impatience is that is so high right now with Auburn folks. I think that they would say at the end of the year, oh, here we go again. We lost four games, lost to Bama and Georgia. So I, I would like to see Harson maybe exceed that expectation. And I think it's possible because this is a pretty favorable schedule, in my opinion, despite the fact how SEC play starts with, with LSU and Georgia. I think I'm a little bit more down on LSU than, than maybe you are at the moment. I think Auburn wins in Baton Rouge first game SEC play because Brian Harson's going to want to make a statement, and, and so is this football yeah. team. And I hope I hope they do give me a fact that is the case like I was talking about earlier because, I mean, it's hard to be patient when Alabama and Georgia are doing what they're doing. But if you don't give a guy a chance to build a program, I mean, this isn't basketball where you can come in and, and get four hot-shot freshmen and then have a good team. I mean, football, it takes time and it takes development. And, you know, Gus just couldn't recruit an offensive line. I mean, how are you in year eight? I mean, guys, even when we play NCAA 14 on PlayStation 3, it tells you your team needs. <laughs> and you go out and recruit guys in, in the dynasty mode to to fill your team needs. And you can't tell me there wasn't nobody in that athletic department saying, hey, coach, you might want to recruit some offensive line because we're thin there. That's so That's true. That is so true. true. That's right. I don't have that problem in my dynasties. Nope. So, Travis, I appreciate it, my man. Thanks for hopping on the line with us. Thank you, guys. War Eagle. That was Travis on the line with us. 
Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. We've got hour number two coming up on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hour number two of On the Line. Great hour number one. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. However you get them, we're there. It's there. Leave a a like. Leave a rate. Leave a review. Subscribe. Unsubscribe. (laughs) Resubscribe. Jump those numbers up. Make a second account. (laughs) Subscribe with that one. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's how you get in on the line, 334-321-1390. Big thank you there to Travis in our previous segment as well for calling in. He had some great football points that i want to revisit here as well say how long does brian harson have a leash is the analogy that malzahn was showing the door typically for losing the big ones also think it was a little bit more than that he lost the games he shouldn't have lost to he couldn't beat lsu on a regular basis lost to teams like south carolina i mean he was a four or five loss coach every year so i think it was a little bit more than just the alabama and the georgia games but for harson i do think that impatience is at a high level right now amongst Auburn fans. Is that how we're going to remember Gus Malzahn? Is it going to be that South Carolina game? Because I feel like every time we talk about his fa- like his What have you done for me lately? Exactly. Every time we talk about his JC Horn. <laughs> ooh, that man's going to be a good pro. I don't care who says it. That, that, ooh, the pro day. Just fall to the Saints, please. Please. Y'all need some help. Oh, and, yeah, and cheap do. help at that. You, yeah. you need draft picks to, yeah. to come in. You don't need to be paying big bucks for players. But I digress. I think this moment right now in Auburn football history is one of the most impatient moments maybe ever if not the most impatient moment it's partly because there's a lot that goes into that when you say the most impatient one your biggest rival is the best college football both of your biggest rivals or top five teams in college football and your biggest rival is you know in the midst of what has been what a 10-year dynasty the greatest dynasty we've ever seen in college football yeah it's it's the greatest dynasty in college football and the rivalry itself it's the best rivalry in college football collegiate athletics period yeah Mm, i don't know about that one but in football yes well what's a better rivalry as we go into a rabbit hole duke carolina duke carolina duke carolina has has had more impact nationally than in terms of basketball than auburn alabama has had nationally in its history no well i think 
there was a stretch there, a six or seven year stretch where the winner of the Iron Bowl went on to at least play in the national title game for college football. Six so or seven years. Direct 50. impact on the national championship picture when Auburn and Alabama play. You cannot say the same thing because of the nature of college basketball. Also, more people watch college football than they do college six basketball. Six or seven years, 50 years, you know. I don't, I don't care how long the Battle of Tobacco Road has been played. I don't care. It has less of an impact in modern-day collegiate athletics than the Iron Bowl does. I, I don't think that's true because the it's been so much dominated by Alabama that it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it really it impacts it yeah because Alabama keeps winning and that's why the winner Malzahn was game, almost five hundred against Nick Saban yeah but Alabama was still making it to the national championship after losing to Auburn so it really wasn't that impactful what, wasn't Malzahn three and four against Saban or has, something like that before yeah it was three and four against Saban before this past year so it went three and five against Saban I, I wouldn't say that Alabama's just been dominating it it's just when Auburn has won it's been close and when Alabama's won it's been a beatdown. and then when they win they still make it to the national championship like how many 2017 other, how Fair. many other coaches in this country have beaten Nick Saban more than twice uh, more than twice i don't know about that i can tell you hugh freeze beat him twice he beat him twice sweeney has beaten him twice malzahn beat him three times no other coach in in the history of college football has done that and i don't think they ever will so oh you don't saying. no i don't think anybody's going to beat nick saban three times so Dabo sweeney's never going to do it again <laughs> i don't think uh, no i don't think so what? i mean if alabama wasn't what? if alabama wasn't scared and they scheduled liberty i mean liberty would wax them right now that is a joke. Please do not send me hate mail. That is clearly a joke. I don't want to hear anything about that. Please. So Please. coming back to this, the the topic that we were having here about Harson and how long people are going to be patient because most people think that Auburn is behind Georgia and Alabama going into this year and would expect Georgia and Alabama to beat Auburn. Far behind. But sure, fine. We'll you know rub salt into the wound, whatever. But the I, I still think that. Folks need to pull it back a little bit. I think that at the end of this year, if Auburn does lose to both Georgia and Alabama, there are going to be some folks out there saying, oh, here we go again, right? And I think people do need to pull it back a little bit. Now, if Auburn's consistently losing four games every year, you hired this coach to take you to a place better than that, right? If you want to stay at 8-4, you would have kept Gus Malzahn. Malzahn elevated the program from where the predecessor the predecessor had it and, and, and Gene Chizik did win a national championship and folks are going to bring that up but when Gus Malzahn took over Auburn's program was not in a great place and I don't think was in a place to compete for national championships on a regular basis and I don't think that Malzahn left the program in a position to be competing for national championships on a regular basis but it's certainly closer than where Chiswick left the program right and I when, agree. And when people make the, the national championship for Chiswick argument, you have to also remember that they have one of the greatest college athletes that we've seen across all. Like, that's all. That, I'll give you that one. Across all of collegiate athletics, we saw one of the best of athletes time. of all time. And also, I don't know, there was a guy as offensive coordinator as well named Gus Malzahn on that team. So The way I look at it is whenever Gus Malzahn started his tenure at Auburn, he was winning games that he should have, and he wasn't losing games that he shouldn't. And as the seasons went on... When the 2014 on, Texas A&M happened? I, I th- well, it's really hard. Fault. I feel like it's really hard to beat Johnny Manziel. So I, I, I that wasn't that. Manziel. No, that wasn't Manziel's year. Still. It, <laughs> I can't no, remember 2014? That, yeah, 2014 yeah, 2014 A&M was not... That was true. That was... Are you that, sure? That, Kenny Trill or was it Kyle that Allen? Was, it was that was. It started out that way, and Kyle Allen and was Kane, the guy yeah. who beat Auburn. Yeah. because yeah, oh, right. Carolina Panther Kyle Allen, but... Still, or is he even Washington, there anymore? Washington football. Oh, uh, uh, my team. bad. As the seasons went on, I feel like there was always 
that that well, especially since 2018 on, there was that one loss that Auburn would have that's like it would frustrate the fans outside of the consistent losses to Alabama and Georgia. And I'll be real, I don't think there was a single year in the Malzahn tenure outside of 2013 where Auburn won consistently the games that they were supposed to win. Maybe you say 2017, but I think you say that Auburn should have beaten LSU and Baton Rouge oh, that year. hundred percent should have been. Yes. There's also a block in the back on that return, by the way. So I don't think there was a single year. I'm sorry, not trying to debunk that. I know it may seem like that, and the perception may be that he did in the first half, but he really only did it for a year because since 2014 A&M, it was this thing you know Auburn was losing four or five games every year well regardless my point being is that fans consistently got frustrated with that and they became more frustrated as the seasons went on and this last season for Auburn to not even they didn't even hit a winning record at five and six so it it was obviously time for Malzahn to go in my opinion wait rephrase what you just said Auburn didn't even get to a winning record it was time for Malzahn to go well, Auburn was six and four this past year, my man. Oh, my my mistake. I'm misre- I'm misremembering things. <laughs> it like, wasn't a good year. They, they he's probably thinking. You, you, what you meant to say was that they have not. They didn't beat a team. It seemed like with a winning record. He also was probably thinking that they should have lost to Kentucky. They probably should have lost to Arkansas, and they would have had a losing record if those two games go the other way. I was like, way. man, this thing was Auburn was six and four this past year. <laughs> and if uh, you know, a couple different calls go, you know, the other way then you're looking at a losing record, which is understandable. You also have to think it's the social media age and kind of like circling back to the impatience of that. Social media age has really caused for this impatience. Like everybody gets to see and wants to talk, and they're like, hey, why aren't we winning a championship? Why aren't we winning a championship? And I, I'm, I'm going to go on that statement that you said where if Auburn loses maybe eight games, or I'm sorry, loses like four games this year, flip, there are going to be people who are upset, and I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say their argument. Well, Gus Malzahn went to a national championship in his first year. I guarantee you people are going to be saying that. I guarantee you there are going to be some people crawling out of the crawling out of the shed, the woodworks, the sewers, wherever they're hiding, and they're going to leech onto that comment, and they're going to keep going with that one to try to go against Brian Harson. I, I just know that's going to happen. To be fair, Lance, Auburn went 6-5. and five. I forgot about the bowl game. So, to be fair, you're, you're close. You just flipped head. it. Yeah. So you you were you were there. Auburn did go six and five, six and four in the regular season. That's what I didn't include the bowl game. We there, forgot about. Still, everybody forgot about that bowl game. It's fine. We we took that and put it away from our memory, out of sight, out of mind. Which, if you'll remember, Malzahn made that comment after um, I can't remember which game it was. Maybe it was after the A and M game because I remember I furiously went to go and do a, re- a research on how many times. Auburn beat ranked teams like what was what was Malzahn's or not ranked teams teams with a winning record I went to go and find numbers on Malzahn's record versus teams with a winning record which by the way is a losing record um so that was a big part of it Shocker. And yeah it was like 21 and 31 or something like that so not good at all against teams that were like decent so that was another reason why Malzahn had to be shown the door but um he, he made that comment after that A&M game saying that, you know, if this was a regular year, this would be a pretty good year, you know what I mean? Which still, like, Auburn would have lost four or five games under a regular year circumstances. He just wouldn't have had six wins. He would have had eight. Because of non-conference games. Yeah, I, I don't think he, he's mathing right with, like, how things scale. <laughs> like, and ratio, like he's not he's not accounting for ratios and, like, no, I scaling think he was proportionally. Just, I, I think you legit, I think that was a Freudian slip. I think that was literally like, hey, this is a pretty good year. Like, he legit it's not like, a pretty we, good year. He's like, hey, we only lost uh, four games, so we would have won the other two had we played two more, 100%. Well, they would have because it would have been against like Alabama State or Georgia State, you know, and they would have. I don't know. They didn't cover against Alabama State last time they played. 60-point spread. They didn't, they didn't cover it. <laughs> 
So let's switch gears here and talk about Auburn football scrimmage yesterday. What are your major takeaways before we wrap up that conversation there? I mean, I there's not much for me to take away outside of the fact that I'm happy about the defense. Uh, I'm happy to hear all this praise coming from the defense. And I hope it's what, because we talked about it with uh, Christian Clemente, and I hope it steers more towards the side of it's it's indicative of how good this defense can be and not how bad the offense is, if that makes sense. Like, I'm I'm taking it as the defense is playing well, and that's why the offense hasn't been good. And obviously it's a new system. Everybody's learning. They're, you know, getting the cogs going in the machine. But I'm, I'm happy to hear that the defense has been playing well at practice, and they should. This is a very talented defensive unit throughout, and I want them to be, and I expect them to be a good defensive unit throughout conference play and throughout the regular season. I think the one thing that I took away from it is that I didn't get to hear the thing that I was most excited about, which was the running game. We didn't get to hear about it at all, and I really hope we do, and I expect we do, because I believe that's the strong suit of this Auburn offense. So moving forward, I really want to hear more about Tank Bigsby and how that offensive line is gelling and clicking, specifically in the run game, uh, because I think that makes or breaks this, uh, this offense. My major takeaway is the same as Levi's. The defense, I think we should be we should be better about the fact that the defense appears to be bouncing back rather than be totally concerned that the offense isn't there yet. I think it takes longer for an offense to reach, you know, a a full a full efficiency. I, I think it takes longer for an offense to be clicking on all cylinders. I think it takes longer for an offense to reach midseason form or, or to reach a good form of play than it does for the defense I think defense is a little bit easier to get out there and disrupt things for offenses because some teams out there make offense look difficult like they self-inflict their their issues they are they ha- it's like it's like an autoimmune disorder for offenses out there for, for some teams and Auburn I feel like has been that team uh, for for the longest time stretching all the way back to 2015 I think you could say Auburn football has had that autoimmune disorder on the offensive side of the football that's just like self-inflicting wounds all the time that's making them worse I think I don't know if we're seeing more of the same on that but Harson did bring up penalties and turnovers on the offensive side of the ball that did appear to be self-inflicted although he did say that the defense put him in positions to make those mistakes on occasion but I think this is more promising for the defense to be taking steps forward and bouncing back rather than the offense because look it's the second week of spring practice the offense is not going to be ready to go right off the bat, especially when you talk about all of the exits and all of the shuffling that is taking place. Shuffling is taking place on the offensive line, exits at the wide receiver position. They are still trying to figure things out on that side of the football. And I would be willing to bet they are not going to have their identity set after spring. They probably won't have their identity set even going into that first ball game. It's going to take I can some agree time. With that. It's going to take a long time because I wouldn't say long time, but I mean long from, time. Do you mean when it gets to the regular season or a long time like from now? Yes, like long from time now, from now. Yes, so yeah, that's but, what I meant. Like from now up until the beginning of the year, because as long as they've got those four non-conference games settled and and they're yes, and they're playing well yes. going into the SEC play, I don't care. They just better have offense figured just out figured by out that then. point. Figure right? it out by then. As long as they got it figured out before they go to Baton Rouge, I'll be happy. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. We come back. we got some college basketball picks your way. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back.
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Jaws with you. ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama. On FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. Speaking of keeping up with what's going on in sports, Shaka Smart headed north, sleeve Texas. Texas basketball head coach Shaka Smart leaving the Longhorns after what seven seasons six seven seasons down in Austin and he's headed up to go and be the new head coach at Marquette to be the leader of the Golden Eagles after Wachowski was shown the door this previous week or or a couple of weeks ago rather Marquette had a pretty down year this year Wachowski not a terrible run at Marquette just not what they're looking for I think it's fascinating that Shaka Smart is leaving Texas after having just won the Big 12 Conference Tournament, having just won the Big 12 title. Still important to note, they went 19-8, and which isn't half bad, but this is like his best season he's had. And it made me think, man, Tom Herman, Charlie, weird to say this, I know, but just give me a moment. Tom Herman, Charlie Strong, and Shaka Smart, the three last major hires for Texas football and basketball, they were all hot shots coming up. You look at Charlie Strong when he was leaving Louisville. The guy was 11, 11 win season at Louisville, just thumped Florida in a Sugar Bowl. He's going to Texas. You can't tell me that most people didn't think that all three of those guys, when they were hired to go to Texas to coach their respective sports, that they didn't think that those guys were going to succeed when they got there. And all three of them, by Texas standards, because Shaka Smart has been on the hot seat for the past two seasons, Tom Herman just got fired, and then Charlie Strong was probably given a lot longer than folks out in Texas wanted to give him because he was on the hot seat, it seemed like, for three or four years in a row. All of those guys let go Shaka Smart probably just didn't want to deal with it anymore because he he wasn't let go he's he has gone on his own volition to Marquette but once again he has been on the hot seat the last two years has his best year and decides to leave I think all that's fascinating what is in the water in Texas that is ruining coaching careers well I mean typically if you get offered a better job at a better program you take it so I understand why Shaka Smart would leave Texas basketball program and go to Marquette Mm, I know that's part of the bit (laughs) <laughs> no, I know. I mean, they have almost identical win percentages. Marquette has a national championship, had the same amount of Final Fours, which is three for Marquette, three for Texas. Texas is But would never you say recently, ch- though, like we got to look at recent tournaments, Texas has been, and I think they got the benefit of the doubt because of the name. I, I think some of the years that Texas got in the tournament when they were 19 and 12 under Shaka Smart, I was like, how in the world did these guys make it? Because I didn't think they were that good. I, but he did make the tournament like four out of his la- four out of six seasons I at, just, at Texas. I didn't win a single game, though. He did not. I, I, I value... I value Marquette legitimately as a better basketball program than Texas has been. Like, Texas hasn't been bad, but they haven't done a lot. I mean, obviously, recently, Marquette hasn't done a lot either. But when I think of a basketball school, I think Marquette. You think Marquette? Marquette? Yeah, I think Marquette. Texas does have a good basketball history, though. They, I mean, to a degree. I mean, three Final Four appearances, no championship. Marquette, three Final Four appearances, one championship. I mean, I'll take the team that has won a championship. I'll take the names. I'll I take won't D- argue with you. I'll take D-Wade. I just, I feel like, and I also think it's a better fit for Shaka You Smart. say D-Wade, but you forget about Jimmy Butler. Yep. And Jimmy Buckets. <laughs> Jimmy Buckets. Yeah, I mean, I... I just, well, but what, Kevin Durant's not good enough for you at Texas? Nah, nah, no. Kevin, Durant, <laughs> Kevin Durant's <laughs> overrated. I mean, that guy has no NBA rings right now. Overrated. Uh, no, no NBA rings that you believe to be legitimate. LeBron cultist over there in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I don't make the rules. I just go by them. 
Well, I think you do make the rules, though. <laughs> At least your own rules. I'm the judge and the jury. Okay. Lance, your thoughts on why Texas is such a bad place for coaches all the time? I really don't understand why, considering you know, it's the state of Texas. Um, both Texas and A&M are two of the most profitable uh, universities in the entire country, and they've been pouring so much money into both, specifically their football programs. And I don't quite know what the deal is. They get talented recruits. They get ta- what what are perceived to be talented coaches. And they get talented staffs, and they always underperform. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to attribute it to. But just looking at Shaka Smart's record, we just said it. He's been to three different NCAA tournaments. He would have been to four had the 2019 one not been canceled. I thought he went to four. It was one in 2015, one in 2017. He won the NIT in 2018. Oh, and well, then good for him. The last two, good for him. Good for him. Yeah, you won good the for NIT. That guy. Good job. Never won a game in the NCAA tournament though. At 21 and 16 in 2018, but he's not won one game in the NCAA tournament. He was also just a hair above 500 as a coach. I know when I read the numbers off to you here in basketball, you play more games, but his overall win percentage at Texas was 0.559. Mm. He was 109 and 86 as a head coach at Texas. He had a losing record in the Big 12. I, oof. That's failure to me. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been great. And I think a lot of this kind of stems from problems at the university of like at at the university like i don't think i think the pressure from that texas generates like there's immense amount of pressure to win at texas football wise yeah that's that's exactly where i was going i think the boosters too many hands in the cookie jar something that auburn fans know all too well about from this past you know coaching search that sometimes boosters influence universities in sometimes in ways that it's hard on coaches. Sometimes it really takes a toll on coaches. I mean, but even, is it truly responsible for all of Texas's problems? I kind of have a hard time believing that with the recruiting classes they pull in. And we've talked about with football, Levi. You and I yeah. have. Their last four recruiting classes been good. has featured two top three recruiting classes in the 24-7 sports composite ranking. So, But also, does it, in, in a sense, are the boosters telling you, hey, you need to play this guy over this guy and keeping them out of that? I mean, again, that's all speculation. Like, I'm not accusing anybody because i don't know anything but if boosters have too much power they could be saying hey you need to play this guy hey you need to hire this assistant coach hey you need to not play this kid and play sabotage and like it could (laughs) they don't think it's sabotage they think they know better because they're putting they think they're they know better and they're entitled to make these decisions because they pump so much money to the university maybe shaka smart was like dude i'm tired of this i'm out i'm going somewhere smaller Hot shot coach coming out of VCU. I mean, you look at his four. VCU is amazing. You look at his six seasons, almost at four. His six seasons at VCU, he never won less than 26 games in a season. He went to five straight NCAA tournaments, one of which was a Final Four appearance. I mean, he actually won games in the NCAA tournament when he was at think that this is a I don't think that this is a shock a smart issue this guy was successful at VCU and he was successful on the national stage he wasn't just successful because he was in the Colonial Athletic Conference and the Atlantic 10 Conference right he was games in the tournament exactly it wasn't just a fluke of like oh I'm it's a small school I think I think small school less attention sit I think that suits shock a smart better I think after having all the eyes on him in Texas and having failures there, I think he's like, dude, I want to go to somewhere that's going to get a little bit less national attention. So, go ahead, ahead, Lance. I think you can also apply this to Tom Herman's record, even though he's only coached half of the seasons that Shaka Smart has. At Houston, he was 22-4, and and that program was doing really, really well. They beat Florida State in the the dumps, And now they're terrible. So, it's, it's, I don't feel like it's a coaching issue. It's definitely a Texas problem. 
We just don't know why. Like, we don't know why it's the Texas problem. I think it's booster influence to a degree, but we don't know why. And that's all speculative. I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything. So, Steve Sarkeesian did now, head football coach at Texas, that we have labeled as, you know, this is the greatest coaching hire of this coaching carousel. Probably one of the more, you know, slam dunk hires of the last couple of years for a big program that's been on the market. I mean, I feel like some people have talked about this ahead of Kirby Smart to Georgia and then some of the other more uh, more prominent schools that have been in the market, like with LSU and everything. I don't think anybody was like, oh, yeah, Ed Orsrod, woo And then, like, but it did earn him a national championship because of Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, though. I'll still stand on that, and I still think Ed Orsrod's out in two years. But Steve Sarkeesian's head coaching record, I mean, let's look at it. At Washington, went 5-7, and 7-6, seven, 7-6, seven, 7-6, seven and 8-4, and and USC, 9-4. Uh, left after three and two due to his issues at USC in his second year there and then he I mean that's that's it right there you know and he coached in his one game at Alabama because Nick Saban had the coronavirus so he's got a one and oh on his Wikipedia page as a head coach at Alabama but uh you know does that do, do we have we just been so blinded by the by the magic of the Steve Sarkeesian offense at Alabama to think that this couldn't happen to Steve Sarkeesian too at Texas the same things that have happened to the people before him because we thought that I think we thought more so that Tom Herman was a slam dunk hire at Texas than maybe we thought for for Charlie Strong but Charlie Strong was still an up-and-comer when he left Louisville I mean I I agree I mean I could see this with Texas's problems I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't work out with Steve Sarkeesian like I really wouldn't I still think that he's going to bring a good offense to the table at Texas but I would not be surprised. If this flames out, I would not be shocked. If Steve Sarkeesian ends up flaming out and this not ending well, it's then a, it's it's a Texas problem. Yeah, it's a Texas and problem. And I think coaches that are up and coming avoid it like the plague, man. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see Texas become grabbing coaches, like retreading the tires on coaches who were It's like fired. Matt Brown, will you come back? <laughs> yeah, they're gonna start getting guys who get fired. They're gonna say, Ed Ogeron, do you wanna come in and coach here? Like it's gonna be guys like that where they're just gonna have to get the scraps and leftovers. They they can't find the up and comer because at some point you have, go there at some point you have to have an introspective look right like if you keep running off all your friends like you have new friends every you know year and like you're like why does nobody like me well, <laughs> it's probably your fault you should look in the mirror right well, the problem with people like that is they're typically they typically show narcissistic tendencies and they can't sit there and go you know what maybe texas isn't back maybe we're not the big bad texas we used to be and so what i'm gathered here is you're calling Texas athletic programs narcissist. I mean, which I think actually, when you talk about, about, like, if you think about it in a sense, it actually, like, I wasn't trying to go there, but it does kind of make sense. Talk about a program that doesn't have doesn't have the pedigree of the last 10 15 years to back it up right i mean yeah. like they they talk a big game they they sound like they're that they're it's, the big dog but like dude they really win like a big dog right they, like, they got uh, the name but no bite it's a lot like miami right now it's a lot like nebraska i think nebraska's finally starting to accept their role in this <laughs> it took them a while but i think they finally started to accept their role miami we'll, we'll just go back to worrying about corn say anytime miami <laughs> wins a game the u is back they're going back and it never it never really is and i think texas might be in that situation where they're thinking they're still something but they're really more they're just a name right now they're not a legitimate winning program college basketball picks on the other side of this break we're going to talk sweet 16 action sunday games coming up what's going to happen in that bama game we give you our thoughts on the other side of this break here on on the line stay on the line more of the show when we come back 
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. we got 30 minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron follows us from 4 to 6 p.m. here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station between the Max Roundtable on the line, the drive with Bill Cameron. There's seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Something else locally that we just got, and I, I was thinking about saving Ooh. it for the last segment. I think I'm going to go ahead and bring it in right now. Let's the just talk about it. <laughs> Auburn High School varsity football schedule released this is exciting this is an exciting schedule right here that is featuring a premier opponent at the end of the season and we'll get to that in just a second but it opens up on august 20th you got park crossing at home a decent opponent that is in a higher classification park crossing still is going to be outgunned by auburn obviously but this is still a good way to start off your year you're getting a decent opponent in not somebody that you're just gonna turn it into a massacre but it is a pretty good ball game and then you've got opelika on the road game two september 3rd you got prattville on the road so early on through your first three games two of those three matchups new head coach keith etheridge you you got some big games there for you to to start it off and and prattville being and uh, a region opponent for auburn high school as well you you got some big games in those first three for you coming on to um coming into the plains and then you got dothan at home fortunate that you don't have to make that three-hour trek down there to dothan so that'll be nice and then you got jeff davis on the road bob jones on the road that's a far road trip for auburn that's pretty much the only far road game that auburn has to play in this year you get central phoenix city at home your last four games are all at home, actually. Central Phoenix City at home on October 1st, Smith Station at home, Enterprise at home, and then the premier matchup, IMG Academy. Yes, the IMG Academy that you all hear about with recruits and whatnot. That is the IMG Academy is coming to Auburn High School for a home matchup on October 29th. Something else I see on the schedule, no bye weeks. Yeah, no bye weeks. That's a little little Auburn opting to take the bye week before the playoff starts. They're going to run through the 10, and then you've got the bye week in between IMG Academy. You get the bye week, and then you get the playoffs. Some teams, that's pretty much the way that folks look at it. You either take the bye week before you go into the playoffs, or the bye week somewhere into your schedule. I've been at some schools where I've seen them have, uh, at least when I was doing play-by-play, I've seen them do it You know, week three, week four, which isn't overly helpful in my opinion. I feel like you'd rather want it somewhere in the middle of the season, somewhere you know, after you know game five, game six. Others, it just kind of depends on philosophy, but they're going to run through the full 10 before they do the bye week. And if you're not familiar with IMG... If it works out that way, I'm pretty sure there's a bye week after IMG Academy. And if you're not familiar with IMG Academy, why that's so big, just look at last year's 2020 NFL draft. I believe they had, what, like... 11 players selected that went to that high school. I mean, guys like Jefferson, Clavion Chason, DeAndre Swift, Grant Delpit, KJ Hamler, like guys that like legitimately got, this is just last year's. I mean, it, it spans. If you look back at every single NFL draft and through NFL rosters, Grant Delpit is one that comes to mind for the Cleveland Browns. He was an IMG Academy product. So, I mean, there are lots of guys who this high school program puts not only into college football, but into the league. So that's a big game to watch. Gentlemen, forgive me. I missed the bye week. I missed, oh, the, I no. missed the date. That's my Can't bad. I, I was like, October Can't 29th count. is pretty late. Like, the playoffs typically start the first week in November. That's why I was like, I think there's a bye week. And then I was like, oh, and I missed it. The bye week is after Central before Smith Station. So the October 8th, Friday night, is a bye week for Auburn. So run through the schedule again here. 
home game against Park Crossing to open the season up. Two road games against Opelika and Prattville. Home game against Dothan. Road games against Jeff Davis and Bob Jones. And then your final four games of the regular season are all home games. Central Phoenix City, bye week, Smith Station, Enterprise, and IMG Academy. So big themes here. You got a tough first three games. Park Crossing, definitely Auburn should beat Park Crossing. Uh, I think, you know, when you, Park Crossing, though, still a difficult team in their respective classification, but just not quite on the level, though, for Auburn High School. And then after that, you got Opelika and Prattville that are going to be two tough road games. Opelika, doesn't matter if they're 6A, 5A, 7A, whatever. That is still going to always be a good football game. And obviously, Opelika is 6A school. They, I found that they're that the best 6A schools, which Opelika factors into that category, the best 6A schools are every bit as good enough to compete with some of the best 7A schools as well. So I, Because those 7A schools were, you know, not too long ago, 6A schools themselves. And really, the size difference there, it puts them into their own category. But that Opelika team still still a good football team and is always producing good matchups between them and Auburn. And then Prattville on the road, that's a that's the first region game of the schedule for Auburn. And to have to go on the road against Prattville, that's, all, that's been a defensive contest over the last couple of years. Prattville can play some defense, and so can Auburn. So there, there, there's going to be some fun games through the first three, but then another theme here, through your first six, you've got four road games. So you got a fun, you got a fun October. Starting in October, you get all home games. But uh, before then, Auburn's going to be traveling a little bit. Talking about that October game against IMG Academy, just looking at some of the recruits that they had last year, I counted it up. They had 12 players commit to a Power 5 school. Four of those players were in the ESPN Top 50. That's insane. That that's is why it absolutely says insane. Academy. They they bring guys like that to come and play there. Like that's that's the billing of IMG Academy. I mean, so it's I mean, going to be a fun game. Caesar Ruiz is a starting guard slash center for the New Orleans Saints right now. He came out of IMG Academy. It's just like they're Patrick Queen of the Ravens. There's so many. The list goes on. Let's switch gears here. Going back to the Sweet 16, we got to get our college basketball picks in here. Taking a look at the Sunday games. We've already done our Saturday games. If you missed those picks or you missed any of the show, go and check out the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Let's switch gears here now to our Sunday picks in the Sweet 16. And we'll start it off with number five, Creighton against number one, Gonzaga. That is seeding, of course. Gonzaga is still the number one team in the country. 110 CBS. Who you guys got? Is the whole room taking Gonzaga? Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were talking about this yesterday on air about which team are you most confident in to move on this weekend. And I think Zags. it's, it's got to be Gonzaga. I just don't see Creighton even having a chance in this game. Now, can they light it up from deep? Yes, but this Creighton team hasn't been playing fantastic as of late, especially to end the regular season. I like this Gonzaga team to win big. Side point here, okay, because I've heard some people pronounce it Gonzaga. I've heard some people pronounce it Gonzaga, like I do. Question here, because this is this is crazy. Like, let's break this down phonetically here, okay? You got G-O-N, which is definitely gun, right? And then you got Zag, Z-A-G, or is it like Saga, S-A-G-A, because it's Z-A-G-A, right? So which is it? Is it Gonzaga or is it Gonzaga? I think that's just personal preference, like Oregon, Oregon, Nevada, Nevada, tomato, <laughs> tomato. Nobody Harris. says Oregon, Har- and I've yet to meet a person who says tomato. <laughs> Har- so. Harassment, harassment, uh, quesadilla, quesadilla. I mean, You're things all like going that. quesadilla as well, but I, I, I don't know about that. I got a degree from a university that says otherwise. <laughs> I, I like to say quesadilla every now and then. But I, I say, you went to Auburn, man, and I took Spanish at Auburn. It's quesadilla. Donde está la biblioteca de pantalones? I have eight years of Spanish under my belt, man. I've got none. I just go with whatever feels right in the moment. I, I don't really think too much about it, but I, I think Gonzaga is what I go with normally. 
Yeah, I normally say I say Gonzaga. I think I say Gonzaga more. Yeah, I think it's I, Gonzaga. But I, th- but I think I swap. I think even, I swap. Their though. nickname is the Zags. Nobody's going around saying the Zogs. Oh, I'm about to start it. <laughs> the Zogs. The Zogs. Gonzaga advances against Creighton. This Creighton team, if they yeah. get hot and they start knocking down threes, maybe it's a close ball game. If not, oh, Gonzaga might. runs them out of the gym. I think Gonzaga, I'm going to keep saying it because I saw it on Twitter. Gonzaga's going to dog walk. Creighton this weekend, okay. and I love it. I, I don't. They don't have an inside think, presence. I think you need a different metaphor though for that because they're they're, they're, the, the, they're the Jays, <laughs> but you know, and Gonzaga's the Bulldogs. They're dog walking them. Okay, I got walking you. it. Four seed Florida State, one seed Michigan, four o'clock CBS. Please, please Michigan, please. I think in my Michigan, bracket I picked FSU, so I'm sticking to my guns. I I'm think, gonna go Florida State. I think Michigan wins. Can you name a player on Florida State's team? You yeah, still can't. It's still them boys. You can't. You can't name one. Leonard, Leonard Hamilton always gets the most out of them boys. They're long. They're lanky. They're athletic. They're gonna give Michigan fits, but I think Michigan's a better team. I think they're gonna come through and win this basketball game. Yes, Michigan plays in a fraud conference, probably one of the worst Power 5, Power 6 basketball conferences we've seen in the history of basketball this year. But, I mean, whatever. Michigan wins. I'll take the Wolverines. Let's go. Well, in Levi's words, this is the matchup of the two fraud conferences. We were talking about that just a couple of uh, days ago. I am going to take Florida State to win this game. I don't know why. I just feel like this is a bad matchup for Michigan. I think this is clash when, of styles. I think this is finally when the the Isaiah Livers injury is going to come back to bite them. That, I have Florida State winning this game close. That is something fair. I think that Isaiah Livers, like I think him missing, is going to play. This is the game, like Lance just said. I think this is the game that you see it shine through more prominently. Clash of styles is like my favorite phrase in college basketball because it's typically what I base my upset picks up uh, my upset picks on because tempo is so important in the college game and when you get teams out of their style of play and you make them uncomfortable it's just like that with football if you make a quarterback uncomfortable he's going to have a bad ball game same thing in basketball you make an opposing team uncomfortable and get them out of their style of play they're going to have a hard time Michigan likes to play the game slow Florida State likes to play the game fast and Florida State with their athleticism and length they can really they can really create some dysfunction on the offensive end for Michigan that's a big reason why my bracket I had Florida State winning this game Michigan I've got them going down this weekend against Florida State. Let's get two more in here. Number 11, UCLA against two-seed Alabama, 6-15 TBS. Do the Crimson Tide advance to the Elite Eight? Shout out, Bama dog. I'll take Alabama. I'm I'm leaning towards UCLA just because they play in the best basketball conference in the country. So uh, UCLA could... Bama, I think they're starting to get, you know, pick it up again. John Petty was starting to feel himself. I think they play way too good at perimeter defense. I think they're a better team than UCLA. The way I view it, I would not be surprised if the Bruins win. Again, strength of schedule, best basketball conference. It plays a lot. And SEC's been kind of down this year. I can see UCLA UCLA winning, but I am going to take the Alabama Crimson Tide. Shout out, Bama Dog. I like this Alabama team way too much to pick against them. I think they've got a lot of depth. I think they play very sound on both sides of the uh, on both sides of the basketball. I think UCLA's guard play is inconsistent. I said that before Johnny Zhujain went off and uh, beat Michigan State in the first four game. I'm gonna say UCLA is not to beat this Alabama team, and I think Alabama moves on. In order for UCLA to advance, they have to play their best game of basketball, which up to this point, they've been playing their best basketball. That's why they've advanced to this point. Alabama would have to play, though, their below-average game of basketball for UCLA's best game of basketball to push them past them. I'm not in the market of saying to 
play their below average game of basketball on this one and even with their below average game of basketball their defense is enough to still carry them enough because i think because alabama's defense is always on regardless of what their offense is doing their defense is always on and that's enough to make ucla dysfunctional and uncomfortable if Alabama's abysmal, I could see UCLA going on, but I think there's a I think there's a rather large margin of error for Alabama in that this de- game. That defense is too much. It I gives think, them I think, margin of error. Yes, like the defense gives them way, way too much of a cushion. Way too much. So I like the tie to win this one as well. Now the Elite Eight, different story. I think Michigan and Florida State both present unique issues. Regardless of which one it is, I think they both present unique issues for this Alabama team. Florida State, good enough offensively. If Alabama's not playing on their A game offensively, Florida State wins nine out of ten times. Michigan, on the other hand, one of the best defensive teams in the country, they're enough to make that Alabama team dysfunctional on the offensive end. And then you've got a fist fight of defenses, and I think Michigan thrives in those types of scenarios because they love the game nasty, they love the game slow, they love that methodical game of basketball. I've had a had a high school teacher once the devil's brand of basketball he wasn't speaking about michigan he was speaking about just like that style of play and he was talking about wisconsin is so true devil's brand of basketball but get wisconsin get virginia when wisconsin and virginia lose it's a win for america <laughs> number seven oregon six seed usc 845 tbs possibly the game that's got my my attention the most all I don't, weekend I'm not, I'm not gonna lie i love to you. this game i really don't even want to pick this game because i want to just sit back and enjoy it you also want to see both of these teams advance you yeah, wish they well, didn't have to knock each other out I I think these are the two most underrated coaches in the conference, and I and we lightly hit on this. If they play, not just in the conference, I think I, they're perfectly rated in the I conference. Meant, I'm in the country. I misspoke. I'm in the Sweet Sixteen. Yes, I'm these guys the, are the two most underrated guys. I'm talking about in the entire country. I'm in yeah. country when I said conference because if Danny Infield or Dana Altman I mean, or Andy both, Infield, Andy Infield, if either of them played in East Coast, like in the East Coast, the Big 12, whatever. They'd have their eyes on them. Exactly. Like, people are just sleeping on him. Andy so, Infield's about to go to an Elite Eight if they win. I mean, he took Florida, he had Florida Gulf Coast winning games. He had Florida Gulf Coast beating two-seeded Georgetown a few years ago. Which, Andy Infield has a pretty cool story because uh, he does not have your traditional route to becoming a head coach. Yeah, this guy was not in basketball look, before he got to FGC. A, if you... If you if you ever have time and you're curious, go look that up because it is a really good story. Um, I think I'm just going to take the experience of Dana Altman in these situations. Yes. I've seen him go further, but if USC wins, I'm expecting to see a dominant performance by Evan Mob- Mobley. Mobley, how Mobley. is it Mobley? Evan Mobley. I think Oregon's just a more complete basketball team. If they get hot like they did the other day and they're shooting the three like they shot against Iowa, it's over. Like Oregon's going to run house because they didn't look like they could miss the other day. The fact that Oregon beat Iowa told me a lot of things about this basketball program. I really like Evan Mobley and USC's size, but I do think the Ducks run away with this one. And it's a shame that they have to play each other because I really think both of these teams, if you match them up with any other team, I guess besides Gonzaga, they would have a really good shot at making the Elite Eight. The Zogs. So who's your pick? I'm taking Oregon. I'm going to Oregon as well. I thought, man crazy that the whole room went Oregon and nobody's with USC my reason here Levi loves to say this this is Levi's favorite phrase in basketball mine's clash of styles his is veteran guard play veteran guard play tenacious defense quack 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 <laughs> the Ducks going to the Elite Eight Oregon's got three guards scoring in double figures right now and they got a Ford who's up there as well so at least somebody can match up with Mobley and, and at least somewhat offset the performance that he's going to put on the floor yep. for USC so USC not as not as spread out with their scoring. It's more focused on Mobley and then 
Edie, I think is his name. Maybe it's Eddie. I, I, I don't know. The guard for USC. That just shows how little we've gotten to watch these teams in the Pac-12. Play well, earlier. But we know about them ducks. And we know I'm about going them now. To, I'm going to take Oregon to win that ball game as well. So that does it for our Sweet 16 picks. And uh, it's going to be a fun weekend of basketball. I think things begin to kind of go a little bit more towards chalk, though, when you're talking about the NCAA tournament picture. So that does it for our Sweet 16 picks. We're going to wrap up the show here on the other side of this break. We'll talk a little SEC baseball, what's going on around the conference, Auburn baseball in action against Kentucky. we got more for you. The show's not over yet. Stay with us. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, Lance Dahl with you. Wrapping up the show here. We got about four minutes left in the show, and then coming up in eight minutes, it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck over on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to What's Odd TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's Friday and that means some business plans get torn to shreds on a new episode of Shark Tank at 7 on ABC. Still at 7, but over on NBC, there's a new episode of The Blacklist. We all have something that motivates us. For Bobby Boucher, he's got tackling fuel. The Waterboy is on Bravo at 640. Alabama football player, Medal of Honor recipient, shrimp boat captain, cross-country runner, it's Forrest Gump on AMC at 6. Chronicling the story of the rock band Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody is on FX at 6. If you aren't first, you're last. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby is on IFC at 7. It's the eve of the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament, so no college basketball tonight, but you can get your basketball fix with the NBA a day after the trade deadline. Two games on ESPN at 6.30, you've got the Boston Celtics at the Milwaukee Bucks at 9, the Atlanta Hawks and the Golden State Warriors will wrap up the night i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight wrapping up the show here on on the line we got about three minutes left gentlemen heading into this sweet 16 weekend we've also got some college baseball going on we'll go through this schedule here for you but first the game that we know about auburn baseball this weekend cody greenhill on the mound for the friday game saturday you got mason barnett and sunday joseph gonzalez a freshman righty making a start he's on one of the year with a 3.18 era though so respectable era at 3.18 going against a kentucky staff though that's pretty dangerous. Stup on the mound for Kentucky, 1.14 ERA, 3-0. On Saturday, Mason Hazelwood, 3-0, 2.01 ERA, the lefty. Uh, and then Sunday, they got a 3.2 ERA with Zach Lee. Opponents are hitting like 214 against Kentucky uh, against Kentucky this year. Yeah, that's true. And then they're hitting 301 themselves. Despite the fact that Kentucky is a bottom-half team in the SEC, I still think they're pretty dangerous. And Auburn is going to have to... Uh, Auburn is going it's pretty stressful times for Auburn baseball at this moment three games above 500 you're 0-3 in SEC play and you're playing a team that does have the ability in all facets of the game of baseball not only pitching but also hitting to to take you the distance this weekend it's 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 important to win Uh, you hit on it earlier when you said you think you're hitting the panic button a little bit more than me and Lance are or Lance and myself are just because you care a little bit more about it and I think your expectations for this team at least in my perspective, like I think you had higher expectations because the talent was there. It also doesn't help for Auburn folks right now as I look at the scoreboard. Alabama's up 3-1 on Ole Miss right now, top seven. That ain't early. That's that's late. That's late stages. Well, they've been doing – Alabama did good on Friday against Arkansas last week as well. I mean, they put, what, 16-1? to Wasn't that the final of that game last weekend? So – Alabama's been a pretty good, good on Friday night. Good, good on Friday night. Didn't do great on Saturday and so, I mean, didn't you know get the win on Saturday and Sunday. So 
Yeah, Auburn's got to take – they have to I'll, – I'll steal it from Lance. They have to win the games that are more winnable. Win, winnable. Like the ones that you have a better than, you know, 25 – to you know 20 to 25 percent chance of actually winning that's pretty much missouri and kentucky on the auburn schedule this right. year you got to needs this one you have to auburn win needs this. this one this is this is a weekend where if you come out you win the series you're feeling re- like you're feeling better you're not feeling really good but you're feeling better about where things are i'm not trying to be dramatic i'm telling y'all ncaa tournaments on the line for auburn this weekend i agree oh I if agree. you lose this like if you lose this series or get swept out like that's that's gone that's talk gone to, you're talking about i would say how, it's gone but it, it's hurting it, yeah it's better yeah how unforgiving this SEC schedule is. You have to win. You have to at least go 2-1 and one this weekend. That's it for another week of On the Line. We'll be back on Monday with you. The Drive with Bill Cameron following us on the show here coming up in about four minutes. Stay on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you next week. You know where to find us.